Welcome to those joining. My name is Ambika Sharma, and you're listening to the 30th episode of Fintech Cafe. Today, we are joined by Ijaz, who's the co-founder and COO of PayActive, and we'll learn more about him and his company soon. But uh, before we start with the content, just a couple of housekeeping reminders. Monisha and I, we have full-time jobs with a big bank, and our employer is not associated with this show. We're not endorsing any products. Our intention is to cultivate a community of thought leadership within fintech. And uh, with that, I'll start with my intro. My name is Ambika, and uh, I co-started this show with Manisha about seven months ago. So we've been doing this every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific. And uh, I am a product manager within a big bank. And part of that, I was with, with startups such as SoFi. So with that, I'll pass it on to Manisha for her introduction. Thanks, Ambika. And good evening or morning, uh, wherever you are. Welcome to the room. Very excited to host Ijaz this evening. Monisha Chakrapani here, your host, co-host with Ambika, and um, looking forward to episode 30. Ijaz, with that, can I turn it over to you for a quick introduction? Awesome. Thank you. So thank you for having me. And I want to thank everyone that is participating or listening in. So I really appreciate it. Time is valuable and I feel privileged uh, to have this opportunity to, to speak to you and, and for others to hear what I have to say. I am uh, a co-founder and uh, chief operating officer of PayActive. Prior to this pretty long tenure in financial services, have worked for Green Dot, FIS, check services, and so forth. So no payments in banking, I think, quite well. And looking forward to our discussion today. All right. Thank you. And so just kind of digging further into the journey, Ijaz, could you share a little more about how you made your way to PayActive and what led you? So the genesis of PayActive, you know, everything typically starts with an idea and or solving a problem. And really the credit for that goes to our CEO, Safan Shah. And and the story goes like this. He was at a employee cafeteria in a large organization. And what he noticed was that employees in that organization were able to purchase primarily food, but other services as well, goods and services, without paying when they acquired those products and services. And, and what happened was that the consideration or the, the value for those products were payroll deducted on payday. So all of us, all three founders of PayActive have some background in payment, especially uh, unbanked, underbanked, alternative financial services. So, you know, I think a light bulb went off in Safan's mind that, you know, employers are able to give employees certain products and services off value without actually taking consideration when those products are given to them or services are given to them. Now, if you apply the same logic, if you want to have a meal, and you don't need to have money because you can get it from the employee cafeteria and it will be payroll deducted one week, two weeks down the road. What if you do not have money and you want to buy food for your family? That is not permissible because you cannot go to your HR or payroll and say that I have earned income and can I access it because I need it, because I need to purchase food for my family. However, I can purchase food from the employee cafeteria without paying a fee or without paying any consideration. So there was this disconnect between how things were being done 
Now, if you apply that logic generally in the U.S., you know, 70 to 80 million individuals in the U.S. are living paycheck to paycheck with less than $400 in liquid savings. And and the reason they don't have savings is a broader policy issue. But the fact of the matter is they do not have savings. And what happens is that expenses happen in real time and income arrives every two weeks or maybe for some individuals every week, depending on the payroll cycle. So there is this misalignment between income and expenses, and they do not have credit or liquidity or savings to to address the misalignment. And they get exposed to some very product, very expensive product services. So when we started to think about what was experienced in the employee cafeteria to a broader challenge that exists in the U.S., that's the genesis of PayActive, that can we work with the employers and allow their employees on demand, but on a voluntary basis, access to their income if they need it, correct? Because most of them do. And that's the basic basic idea, the basic principle that we basically took, started the company to solve that problem. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. And so for those who are interested in a little bit of trivia, how, how does this two-week pay cycle come about? Like, is it relevant in today's market? Well, I don't think it's relevant in today's market because, you know, the world has become real time. We consume entertainment in real time. We order food in real time. We make purchases in real time. But for some reason, we cannot get access to our income in real time, although we earn in real time. Because every minute that you work, every hour that you work, every day that you work, that is income that your employer owes you. But that income is dispersed every two weeks because payroll is a batch process. So so the world has moved to real time, but for some reason, payroll has not. And we know the reasons because it's legacy systems and payroll is a batch process. So what we are trying to do here is not only solve a problem for the people that do not have liquidity, do not have savings, but also, frankly, align the payroll industry with what is happening in human behavior which is becoming very much real time. They expect, today we expect to get products and services in real time. But income, disbursement of income through payroll still is a batch process. Every two weeks, every week, and in certain circumstances, every month, if you have a monthly payroll. So, Ijaz, you're in the space of earned wage access. Could you explain Mm -hmm. what that is and how that is different from early wage access? So I I think these two terms are used interchangeably. Earned wage access uh, is a term that we coined. So PayActive is the company that innovated, disrupted, whatever the right word is, and created the, the term and the concept of earned wage access. So what is earned wage access? Earned wage access essentially allows employees or workers to get access to their earned unpaid income on demand. It is never unearned. So it is not credit and it is not actually payroll either. It is a new transaction type in which working with the employer, at least our business model in earned wage access is in collaboration with the employer, what we call the B2B model in which we work with the employer, we verify that the employee actually works for the employer, has earned that income, and then 
from the information we receive from the employer, we make available a certain percentage of that income for the employees to access on a voluntary basis. And that is earned wage access. And so just if I were to go on with that, I, I saw on your website that you have a very strong partnership with Walmart. My mom is a cashier with Walmart and I went to school uh, with scholarships from Walmart. So how does your solution work for a cashier at Walmart? Could you explain so, about the partnership there? Yeah, so so I, I cannot get into specifics of the Walmart partnership, but I can generally speak as, as to the use case because, you know, workers are workers, whether they work for Walmart or whether they work for another employer. So essentially the way it works is I'll, I'll get, go through a hypothetical. So let's just say a pay period starts on a Monday and ends on a Sunday after two weeks. It's a 14-day pay period. And an employee works Monday. They clock in, clock out. And let's assume they work 10 hours that day. And let's also assume they make $10 an hour. Correct. So on Monday, when they clocked in, clocked out, they worked for 10 hours and they earned $100. Now, they, they're going to under, if you do not have earned wage access, they're going to basically, let's assume they work five days a week. They will clock in, clock out for five days in a week. They would have earned $500 for that week. Next week, they again uh, clock in, clock out for five more days. They earn another $500. And then after one week, after the end of the pay period, because payroll typically or payday typically is in arrears, they will get their pay on payday. So that's the normal pay cycle. You work, pay period ends, you wait for four to five days, and then you get the pay for that pay period. What happens with earned wage access is in the case of a cashier working at Walmart or for that matter at any other employer, they will clock in, clock out. And then once they clock out at the end of their shift, the employer is sending us a file or a confirmation that this person clocked in, clocked out. This person makes $10 an hour. Based on, that, based on that information from the employer, we are able to calculate their gross income, just like a payroll system does, and to some extent, an estimated net income. And then from that net income, within few seconds of receiving that information from the employer, if that employee logs into our app, they will be able to see how much of that net income is available to them. And if they want to access it, they can access it. And then we disperse that income to them. We can send it as an ACH. We can use Visa Direct and load their debit card. They can go to Walmart and pick it up in cash. They can pay a bill. They can do an assortment of services on the disbursement side through our app. So if you, if you look at a macro level, I'll just elaborate from one use case to the macro level. In the U.S., approximately $170 billion worth of wages are earned every single week, and they are dispersed after two and a half to three weeks when the pay period ends. So 170 plus 170 is what, 200 and $340 billion uh, worth of wages are earned but remain unpaid and then they are dispersed on payday. So what we are really doing is bringing more efficiency into the system from a pure monetary, monetary perspective and from a human perspective, giving them what is rightfully their income to them when they need it 
And then from a liquidity perspective or monetary perspective, bringing efficiency into the system where people can get, can get access to their income on demand. So while we're on the topic of the product, that use case helped tremendously and it sparked a few different thoughts. But who are the customers who you are targeting this solution towards? Current or historical? Just curious about the growth there. Yeah, so today we have uh, greater than 2,000 employers that have a contract with us and we provide our services uh, to those employers. So first, it's a B2B solution. So we first sign an employer and then the employees of that employer get access to our service. So from, from inception, just to give you perspective as to you know what we have been able to accomplish, from inception to date, we have enrolled more than 2.5 million users. And then from that, 1.6 million have been active and we have dispersed uh, the transaction I just described to you on wage access on a voluntary basis, we have dispersed eight and a half billion dollars worth of wages to various employees on demand. So it sounds like you get a repeat usage from that from the numbers you coded. The user behavior has has many flavors. Some employees do use it more frequently. They simply take their pay period from a bi-weekly to weekly. Some users use it on a just on a need basis. So it all depends on depends on the user behavior. Yes, but we do have some repeat users that that use it on a recurring basis. Yes. So one clarification, you mentioned that this is a B2B solution, but you know, you're talking about earned wage access and even I want my earned wage access right now. So do you have a solution that like that's for customers that would enable us to get access to our wages as we earn? Or is it primarily a B2B solution? Our solution is primarily a B2B solution. There are companies that do provide a direct what we call a direct to consumer solution. Uh, but we, we don't actively embrace and or endorse that solution. And the reason is you know, those, in those solutions, typically the recoupment or the settlement back of the funds that are dispersed is through a debit to a person's bank account. And that can sometimes, you know, cause issues like overdraft and, and returns and so forth. So we have primarily focused on a B2B solution, working with the employer, and then the, then the settlement of what we disperse is through a payroll deduction. So we don't really go into employees' bank accounts and debit them. So because your solution is B2B and it's something that you pioneered, you said that you coined the term earned wage access. Could you take us back to the early days of how you guys found your product market fit? What was that experience like in this problem statement? So early days were tough, like most startups. You know, when you, when you create something disruptive, something innovative, your biggest challenge is educating, convincing people to use it. So the solution was never, it was never a solution that was looking for a problem. We knew the problem existed. We came from banking and payments. We knew paycheck to paycheck, unbanked, underbanked is a huge segment of the U.S. population. We knew that they needed money. We knew predatory lending existed. We knew exists. We knew payday lending exists. We knew overdraft exists for a reason. So all of those things made sense. You know, if, if you think, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 
best illustration I can give you is that in California, a licensed payday lender can charge $45 for a $250 payday loan. And that has a recourse. So if you default, there's collection, there's other fees, and so forth and so forth. It's a legal product. Earnwage Access solves the same problem either for free or for $1. But we work with the employer. So we know the problem exists. We know we have a great solution. But the product market fit challenge for us was convincing and changing mindset. It's, it's like a missionary sale. You know, when you create something new, disruptive, you have to change people's mind. And that is the most difficult thing. Convincing human resources, convincing operators, telling them that your employees are, are exposed to predatory products, they are paying billions of dollars in fees, you can help them, is tough. People don't want to believe it. People believe it, but don't want to do anything about it. So our product market fit was really timing, the process of educating, informing, all stakeholders, whether it is employers, whether it is regulators, whether it is media, and, and convincing them that this is a viable alternative uh, to existing products in the marketplace. Uh, so that's one on the product market fit. And, and, and philosophically, if you really think about it, it is their money. You know, we're not doing them a favor. It is their right. Uh, we're giving them what they have already earned. It's just that the payroll is an inefficient batch process at least at present. So we are bringing efficiency and we are giving people what is rightfully theirs, their earned income. Fantastic. Just in terms of the product and roadmap, I mean, payroll has been a really highly innovative space in the past years. And, you know, there are several use cases and solutions that exist Curious to hear your thoughts about innovating in the space as we go forward. What is the future roadmap for Payactive look like around the payroll space? So, so Payactive started with a simple use case, which was earn wage access. That was the problem that we were trying to solve. And we continue to do that today because I think based on the last estimate or some studies that have been done, only 10 to 12% of the market has been penetrated. So there is, there is a huge opportunity to provide the solution to, to the U.S. population. But over the course of time, we have evolved. We have diversified. We have an assortment of uh, services and features within our app, including but not limited to we have a visa debit, we have budgeting, savings, financial counseling, financial literacy, discounts. You can link your bank accounts and we can do expense analysis, income analysis. We can provide you AI-based nudges, uh, what is safe to spend, safe to save. So we have built what I would call a holistic financial wellness platform that can be uh, provided to our users in a B2B environment and even in a direct-to-consumer environment. So you don't have to take earn wage access to find impactful services in our app as a user. So what we have today compared to where we started, we have a holistic financial wellness platform and we have what I would call a digital wallet that is focused on financial wellness that our users can use and manage their life 
and save money and live better. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic pitch. Actually, when you're talking about the challenges and the product market fit, I'm guessing that has shifted a lot to today where employers seem to be a little more focused on that financial stability for their employees. Is that fair to say? Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. What are some of the other challenges that you've faced during the evolution of your product and along the way? You know, I, I personally underestimated how complex human beings are because we used to do sales as, as founders ourselves and something that is so obvious, so impactful, so useful. We thought it would just sell by itself, but it did not. It takes a lot of time and it gave me a lot of respect to how difficult sales is. Right, because you're looking, you're you're convincing human beings who are complex animals or individuals to convince them. So that was probably the the biggest learning, because I I did work in large organizations and they were structured and there were processes in place. But when you start something from ground up, you have to roll up your sleeves and do everything, and you really you you, you really you really get tested. Correct. You have to learn to accept failure, deal with failure, and 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 get up again and try again and try again and try again. We were fortunate. Uh, we had great investors. Our CEO is very supportive. Uh, he is the one that establishes the culture uh, of the organization and the mission. And uh, we never deviated, never had a doubt, and stayed on the journey. And then, obviously, after some time, success started to get realized. I have I have forgotten your question, actually. Sorry. No, I think uh, that's helpful. You, I was asking about challenges you face, adjustment. It sounded like the sales side of things is definitely yeah. Those yeah, those are the those are the initial challenges. Okay, yeah. So I'll I'll continue. Those are the initial challenges, and now you know once the disruptive part, innovative part of your journey has been accomplished to some extent. It never is completely accomplished, but you know once the product is established, acceptance is there. Then the next challenge comes in where you have to now create an organization structure to scale. And, and the transition from an innovation, innovative mindset, disruptive mindset, very risk-taking mindset to a scaling mindset uh, and structure is not easy, correct? That, that transition is painful and challenging. So that is the second challenge that, that to some extent we experienced. Got it. And Ijaz, I we have about three minutes for the moderated session. So the last question I'll ask you is about customer research. And that is, how do you learn what the problems, problems are of your customers or how are they adopting? Could you talk a little bit more about your user research and customer research team? Yeah. So unlike myself, other two founders, uh, the CEO and our chief technology officer, both are engineers and they're very, very the whole company is very data-centric. So we do a lot of research. We do a lot of surveys. Uh, we do a lot of human-centric design studies about our users and their usage. And then we basically try to you know, either build features, modify features, and so forth. As I mentioned earlier, you know, the usage pattern is there are different behaviors. Some people do use it more frequently. But we are a social impact-centric public benefit corp, certified B corp. We, we have fee caps in our product, so we are not a pure transactional business that 
makes continues to make money as more and more transactions come in. We do provide the services, we have fee caps. So the user behavior, people are using, I mean, I'll just at a high level summarize it. People use the service for basic necessities of life. Over and over again, we have done surveys, analyzed data. I don't have the exact numbers, but I do know that the biggest purchase is groceries. Then it is rent or mortgage, transportation, and so forth. Medical. So users are struggling. They are living paycheck to paycheck. They access their income and they deal with basic necessities of life. Great. Well, thank you. With that, I think we should switch over to the Q&A with the audience. So we've had a few questions and I'll start bringing people up on stage. But before I do that, so to the audience, if you're interested now to come up on stage and ask Ijaz any questions, you please are welcome to. So with that, our first guest is on the stage. So Vinay, if you would like to do an introduction and then ask your question. Sure. Uh, thank you so much, Ambika and Manisha. And thank you so much, Ijaz. This is, this is an amazing concept. So I am based in Toronto, Canada, a geek of fintech. I love fintech, uh, and especially if it, if, I, if it has to do with financial literacy and uh, helping people with the finances. I work in the startup ecosystem here uh, in Toronto and get to work with a lot of uh, companies. So uh, a question I have is, is kind of twofold. One is, you know, the fact that, you know, you said they, they access this money to buy groceries, mostly consumption uses how has that changed their ability to plan or organize their finances because you know i looked at the app i looked at their website and i looked at you know there is like this you you do help your end consumer in planning i'm just curious to know how has this helped them in terms of being in a better position because if they keep asking every now and then that kind of shows maybe there's some room for improvement so just curious on that that front yeah so so it's it's a, it's a good question and and there is some practical answers and then there are some philosophical answers as well we provide what i would call responsible access so what does that mean what that means is that at present we only give them working with the employers up to 50% of their net income so they cannot get all of their income because there are certain expenses that are larger or less recurring and they should not have a zero check uh paycheck sorry so that's that's one thing to keep in mind number 2 is that we do provide them the tools to to budget to save so they can manage their lives uh better with those tools and plan for it there is also the concept of you know it is their income i i think it's a fallacy at least the data shows that the concept of forced savings by a biweekly paycheck statistically or from a data perspective is not accurate because what data shows is that people that have an irresponsible or abusive behavior are actually more irresponsible when they get large sum of money less frequently so as an example you know you may be surprised to find out that alcoholism 
DUI, spousal abuse, all of these things spike on a Friday, which is payday, correct? Even gambling. Because if you have abusive behavior, getting money more frequently is not going to change that, correct? So we have tried to find that right balance of giving them access to their income more frequently, but not all of it. But I will say this, that the world is moving towards real time. Everything is happening in real time. You can pay rent partially. You don't have to pay rent. There are landlords and mortgages where you don't have to pay once a month. You can pay it more frequently, correct? So things are moving in real time. I believe that even the concept of giving people 50% of their net income and not more than that is still a bit judgmental. And I think over the course of time, that will change and people will be able to get all of their income in real time when they need it. Thank you so much, Ijaz. That, that's helpful. I mean, um, to your point, being philosophical, you know, there's always there's always uh, these things, you know, that need, needs to be addressed and uh, will, will provide challenge. But I think you're on the right path. Again, kudos to you and your team for doing this amazing job. Keep rocking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Vinay. Before we move to Nate, there's a question that came from the back channel. It's from Itla. She's in user design. And she's asking, how do you make, what well, basically she's asking about your revenue model. How do you make money? Okay. Yeah. So we have, actually we have a free model. And if users do not want to subscribe to the free model, they can choose to pay. So what is the free model? We have a Visa debit card through which if our users do a direct deposit, it's like most debit cards out there. If they do a direct deposit on our debit card, all services that we provide, including earn wage access, are at no cost because we have interchange income through which we can generate revenue. If the user chooses not to, and it's, 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 it's not mandatory, it is just a value proposition. If the cho uh, user chooses not to use our debit card with a direct deposit, and by the way, there's no minimum direct deposit either. So if somebody wants to game the system, they can just put $5 as a direct deposit and they can get all the services at no cost. If they do not want to do a direct deposit and or do not want to use a card, then there is a $1 fee uh, for on which access. And for that $1 fee, we basically settle the on-wage access as an ACH into their bank account the very next day. Okay. Hey, Jess. Uh, oh, sorry. I was just going to ask a sure. quick follow-up. Uh, so from a risk standpoint, are there any considerations in it, on the other side? Yeah. So, so you can imagine for a no fee or $1 fee, we cannot afford to take risk. So the considerations, really, there is no risk consideration from the user's perspective because we don't underwrite the user. We do not do any FICO scores. We are not taking, we are not making risk decisions. We are confirming from the employer whether the person has worked. We are confirming from the employer how much the person earns. And then we expect the employer, based on that, to deduct what we dispersed and give the money to us. So our risk, if you really think about it, is not consumer risk. 
our risk is the enterprise risk that in one week or two weeks time when payroll is processed, will the employer be in business? Correct. That is our risk. Our risk is not really because we only give 50% of net income and we confirm that it has been, it is earned unpaid. Uh, so our risk is not really on the consumer side. It's really on the enterprise side or the client side. Got it. So it goes into your due diligence with your customers. Yeah, that is correct. On the onboarding side, we do some due diligence just to make sure that the employer has liquidity or, or going, does, does not have a going concern issue. Yeah. I can geek out on this topic forever. Sorry. I'm a, uh, but thank you. I think it's over to Nate. Nate, welcome back. Great to see you. Hey, thanks. And I'm glad to be here. I took a new role um, at a new company, so it's been a while and been busy. I've had just a little background. I've been in the finance space, student loans, personal loans, refinance, high-risk lending, et cetera. So very intrigued by, by this. Is, and I think it's a cool idea and it's a great product. So I have four questions and I'll just ask one. And then if there's any time, if maybe I can ask another that works. Um, okay, good, good. So, gosh, I want, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at them. So this is a B2B business. And so the information that can be gathered is, you know, what type of, I guess, the agreements, I guess this gets to an agreement level, but what, you know, do you think you have enough data or are you able to gather enough data because you're signing an agreement with the, the employer of the individual or is there an, I, and I know you mentioned something along the lines, you know, they have to provide a, a consent of sorts. Do you think you get enough data that you're able to probably pivot at some point off of this, you know, direct consumer? I mean, I guess I'm not really trying to get into your roadmap, but what I'm asking is, do you think you'll be able to gather enough consumer data to reduce friction even further for the, the individuals that are leveraging your platform? So, I, I, I didn't understand the last part, but I think I understood the first part. I don't understand the friction part, oh, but so yeah, so ahead. so I'm in a you know business to consumer business, sure. and so our agreement we can gather a lot of information because we're dealing with the end user, and you're working with businesses to adopt your platform because I I also agree you know this is their money they should be able to access it in real time. Do you get enough data? from that agreement with the business that you're able to enhance the individual yeah. consumers? Because I'm seeing different yeah. segments or pockets of yeah. consumers. Yeah, so allow me to, uh, yeah, I, I think I know what you're asking, so I'll try my best to answer. So while we have the B2B relationship and our user is employed by that employer, we use the data to provide the service under the terms of the contract between us and the employer. If that employee leaves or is asked to leave, is no longer employed with that employer. We cannot and do not use the data that the employer provided us mm -hmm. to provide any services to the employee. However, the employee has enrolled in our app. We do have their contact information. We have their name. We have the cell number. So we can reach out to them and offer other products and services, but we do not and cannot use the data that the employer provided after the employment relationship ends to provide other products and services. Okay, yeah, and I think that's part of it. Does that put you at a disadvantage, do you think, by gathering long-term data sets that could help you enhance your product? I mean, we're not in the 
in the monetization of the data business, we are really in the business of providing impactful products. Now, data can help to identify, to make decisions, yes. But we are very respectful and cautious of our relationship with the employers because they trust us, correct? They trust us for us to service their employees. And and we take the utmost care to make sure that we don't breach that trust. Now, that can put us at some disadvantage to some extent that we could have done better if we used the data, made better decisions. But I think that's a price worth paying to maintain the reputation that we have with the employers. Very good. Thank, thank you so much. Sure. Thanks, Nate. Before we go to Anton, I want to ask one of the questions that came from the back channel. So I'll read them. They're from Alejandro. He is a, he's in user research at Facebook or Meta. So the first question he's asking is, how do you know when to shift to growth or scaling and start developing frameworks within the organization? It goes back to, I think, the question that was previously raised uh, about market timing of the market fit, a product market fit. I think the time to scale is when there is there, the acceptance of the product, the friction on the acceptance, not on onboarding, but on the acceptance from the client, which is our employer. When they start to accept it, you don't have to explain to them the value proposition. They come and ask you, I need the solution, because that's, that's where we are today. Earn wage access has become a default benefit that the employers are seeking. So there has been an acceptance in the marketplace of the solution. That's when you start to scale because now there's no friction in the sales process or not as much friction. Now you're competing versus convincing. Before you are simply convincing, you don't have a lot of competition, but you are convincing, you're trying to change minds. Now you're competing, who has the better product? Because people understand, they've accepted it, and and now you basically create the structure and the environment to scale. Right. And I think that happened, for us that happened, by the way, Walmart embraced the solution, uh, credit to them, and gratitude to them in, in, in 2017. And we went live, I think, Q4 of 17. So 2018 onwards, there was a systemic change in the marketplace where employers started to really accept a solution. Well, Walmart is what, like the second largest employer in the United States? I, I think it is the it is the largest. I, you know, I've not... I thought that was the Pentagon. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Okay, then the second question uh, is also from Alejandro, and he's asking, how do you manage and integrate end-user insights into a B2B business? Well, if you have if you have the user, if you serve the user, you know, that's what we do all day long. Yes, we do have to sign up a client to get access to the users, but at the end of the day, we are a consumer company. We have to go through the client or the employer, B2B2C. We do everything for our user. We live and die by our user. We serve our user. We analyze our user. We learn from our user. So for us, it just, just comes naturally. Now, there is a value proposition that you have to give to the client because businesses have to make a commercial decision a lot of times to offer the service. So there is a tangible value proposition for, for clients like better recruitment, retention, productivity, and so forth for employees that use the service. So that's the business value proposition. But at the end of the day, you know, 
we pay very close attention to user behavior, user trends, and then modify and take corrective actions if we need to take to our product. So if I may ask a follow-up to that, and this is my own question, and that is, are all users created equally? In other words, the users at Walmart, are they substantially different than the users of Instacart, for example, or the employees of Instacart? Well, at an individual level, you know, human beings are complex, so so nobody is created equal. But at an aggregate, you know, they, they all have the same struggle. They are lower income demographic. That's our core user tends to be lower income demographic. Uh, they are living paycheck to paycheck. They are struggling at an aggregate level. Uh, they are having difficulty meeting basic necessities of life. Uh, so, so in that sense, yeah, they, 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 they are created equal. Those are the common denominators. Uh, among most of them, but but they all have different. You know, people are different, so you can't say that everybody is exactly the same. Uh, but generally speaking, yes. Okay, spoken yeah. like an economist. I see that Payhactive has taught you a lot about human behavior. <laughs> Humans are complex. <laughs> all right, so let's keep it going. Over to you, Anton. If you'd like to introduce and ask your question, I muted you, so you'll have to unmute yourself, Anton. Sorry, I had to press the button a few times. Hey, hi, uh, hi, AJ. So my name is Anton, and I lead technology of within a large bank within the open banking space. And I was just looking up your website too. It's really interesting that the work that you guys are doing. Now, you know, we we were talking about data for a minute here, right? Like the. You know, you're, you're right when you say that you have a relationship with the customer, uh, with the employers, uh, and you're delivering value to those employees. But you do have a lot of data, and you know, are, are there any plans for you guys to provide that insight back to the employer? So, for example, you know, data like, hey, you know, is minimum wage is a good example. I think is minimum wage enough, right? Like, who are the people who are mostly using your services? What is the minimum wage they are earning? so that the employers can make informed decision about is this optimal minimum wage, for example, right? Like, uh, you know, and, and the second question that I have is, you know, we're talking about moving money in real time. ACH same day is still not, you know, real, real time, right? Like for additional, for an yeah. additional fee, would you offer other things like RTP, for example? Yeah. So let me answer, uh, I'll answer this question. So, so we do provide, uh, we have impact reports, as a matter of fact, within our in, within our platform, there is a complete section that is for the employers. We have standard reports, custom reports, impact reports. So we provide as much information as employer wants about the solution, about the usage, about you know whether it is age, income, demographic, whatever it may be. Everything is available. Some employers take a very keen interest, and some employers are hands off. It all depends on on from employer to employer, but but accessibility to information, meaningful information, and and we can create those reports for them based on the outcomes that they're looking for. We have a uh, data science team. We have an impact uh, team or individual that focuses on, focuses on these areas. Uh, so data is provided to to employers. As far as timing of disbursement, we do have intentions or plans for RTP. It has gained traction. I think last I heard the coverage was close to 60 to 70% of DDAs in the U.S. So it is on a roadmap to, to start looking at it. Today, we provide Visa Direct as an instant load option. 
So employees uh, can choose to get instant deposit 24-7, 365 on their debit cards through Visa Direct. So we do have that disbursement option available in our product set. Okay, awesome. Sure. Thanks, Anton. And over to you, Jonathan, if you want to introduce yourself first. So you're muted, Jonathan. You'll have to unmute. You know, <laughs> I'm figuring these things out. <laughs> Thank you, Ambika. And I, I've learned a great deal already about PayActive, and I really appreciate, you know, what you're doing. You already touched on it a little bit, but my question... Oh, I didn't even introduce myself. I'm Jonathan. I work currently for a public housing authority in California. I do work with a lot of people who would love to be a part of your you know, the service that you provide, and they probably already are benefiting from it. But but anyway, back to the question, you touched on it about becoming, or that you're a certified B Corp and a public benefit corporation. I've seen trends in the industry, you know, like smaller community banks and things becoming B Corps. But I just, I just want to know a little bit more about how, the difference, well, maybe other people need to know the difference between a B Corp and a C Corp, but why did you exactly choose the B corporation and maybe you can expand a little bit more on that yeah absolutely i think we had a, an individual in our organization that educated us so so at the core we were a social impact centric company when we started the company the mission was to solve a problem to put users interest ahead of us never benefit at the expense of the user. So we are not a non-for-profit, we never were, but we were committed to solving a problem and helping a user. We just did not know, we were not aware that there were structures and or certifications that actually were compatible with who we were. So we had an individual in our organization, Iram, that had some background in impact and she came in kind of educated us or told us, listen, what you're doing, there are actually structures and certifications that you can get and and you'll be recognized and it will give you, you know, more checks and balances to make sure that there's continuity in your mission. And that's how we embraced the Public Benefit Corporation status incorporated in Delaware and then worked on the B Corp and then got the certification for B Corp as well. And then our board was very supportive because there are some you know, decisions you have to make towards social impact as your primary driver for profit social impact versus maximizing profits. And the board was very supportive and we were able to accomplish those, those two things. And I think Iram is actually in the audience. I'll invite oh, her okay, up great, if she wants great. to come and say something. Yeah, if, if she wants to say something, you know, the credit goes to her. You know, she's the one. That, well, that led us on this path. Okay. Right. I've sent her an invitation. Iram, if you're able to join us, come come up on stage. Okay. Uh, in the interest of time, let's go on to, there are two questions, one on stage and one in the back channel. So Asim, over to you, if you would like to first introduce yourself. I did mute you, so you'll have to unmute yourself. Okay, just trying to get used to this app as well. Uh, thank you so much, Ambika. A really great conversation. Again, just a disclaimer, I'm not from FinTech and I have, I may have no idea about what I'm talking. 
right now. <laughs> Ask the question anyway. Like, my name is Asim. I'm from uh, Melbourne, Australia. I am a engineer turned manager. I do a lot of things, but too long story. My question is, you know, of your customers, obviously, you know, not all of them that you approach to are your adopters. So out of the non-adopters of your platform, what were the most common concerns from those employers? So I think I think what you're asking is that when we when we sign a client, the employees that do not use the service, why they don't use the service? More from an employer perspective, you do have to get okay. employees on board. Okay. As well. I, 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 yeah, so understood. I'll try to answer that. I, I think some businesses are very commercial centric. If you don't have a strong enough business case, because th there is still some work needed for one time integration and some support is needed from employers to, to communicate with the employees so that they are aware that the service is available. So there is some some effort required from the employers. It's not complete plug and play. It's not complete hands off. It's minimal, but there is some work. So for some businesses, they just don't don't have the resources, and it's not a priority. Correct. Some businesses we are not able to reach to them because it is a B two B solution. We have to do a good job from our marketing perspective, from our outbound sales perspective. To, to reach to employers and tell them. But once we once we connect with them, most of them embrace it or at least they may delay it. They, they, very few of them say completely, no, I'm not interested. I'm not saying they don't exist. They do exist. But a lot of them, it goes into this cycle of prioritization. It is a voluntary service. Unlike payroll, you have to process every week, every other week. You don't have a choice. This is a voluntary service. So... It can take the decision making can take long sometimes. Did I did I answer your question? Yeah, no, that that makes sense in terms of that. This is you know a lot of employees would go. We all we already pay employees on time always. And if you talk about Australia, the government requires the employers to report every paycheck every week, electronic taxation office. So there's no getting away with it. However, I think, you know, again, going back to the question was, you know, if I had to convince my employer or you had to convince my employer here today to uh, voluntarily provide them with upfront pay, you know, typically, I, I don't know what concerns they would have. So I was trying to understand, you know, since yeah. already, what would they yeah. concern? Would it yeah, be and, like and, yeah. have money or? No, it's not money. Uh, employers really don't have any cost. Uh, I'll tell you, in the beginning of our journey, there was this, what we call a paternalistic attitude, perception that people should have saved. They are irresponsible. And I know this, this gets into a very macroeconomic uh, discussion. You know, it's not that people should have saved, could have saved. You know, the situation is that people don't have much to save. So, so the position that we took was that because, you know, $400 in, in liquid, uh, liquid savings does not exist among 80 million individuals in the U.S., we try to help them first if they have an emergency with access to their earnings and then give them savings tools as well versus being paternalistic or judgmental 
and just tell them, well, you should have saved and here's a tool to save. They will never save, correct? If somebody has to buy milk and diapers because they don't have money and you tell them, here's the saving tools and next time save so you can buy them, they'll never save, correct? Because they need to address that basic necessity and, and there's a reason why they don't have resources for that basic necessity. That's a completely separate discussion. So, so th- I think there is some paternalistic uh, attitude. There is some ignorance as well among decision makers that, that why people have not been able to save. So this is, is a combination of issues. Okay, makes sense. Uh, thank you. Thank you, yeah. Zos. Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I know we're about two minutes away. Irum, thank you so much for joining us. Would love to, you know, hear from you. And I know Ijaz had addressed the Beaker question. If you have anything to add, please do. And you are, okay, perfect. You got the microphone off. I did. Thank you so much. That was, it was really fascinating to hear Ijaz. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to it, even though I you're just a few feet away from me. So yeah, I think particularly I could address the B Corp question and what differentiates a B Corp from a C Corp. It's really the fact that it creates longevity. In the bylaws of the organization, there is a uh, double bottom line commitment to, to mission and and the entire board has to approve it. So that, that's kind of, that's underlying, the underlying difference is there is a commitment to mission and purpose in the bylaws. And the second distinction I would say is that what it does is it creates longevity. So for example, a B Corp is simply a certification that could change, let's say the next CEO comes in and is not as committed to mission. Whereas once it goes into your bylaws and your entire board is on board, is, has approved it, it creates sort of, it kind of gets embedded in the DNA of the company. So yeah, that's how I would differentiate them. There's no backing out of it. Pretty much. <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, it definitely sounds like a commitment for the long term, right? Oh, that's that's great that you guys do that. Munisha, um, next time when we meet, when we bring a fintech company, we have to ask them, are they B Corp or not? That's a new criteria. <laughs> fintech with impact. Yeah. All right. Well, we are at eight. I did want to just see if there's any final questions for Ijaz from those on stage. Otherwise... I think, uh, thank you so much, Ijaz. Oh, Nate, were you going to say something? Otherwise, uh, thank you so much. This was fantastic conversation. As usual, I walk away from a conversation with you and feel smarter for it. Appreciate you taking out your time, getting the Clubhouse app just for this call. And I think we are, we learned a lot from you today. And Iram, also very nice to meet you. And thanks for chiming in. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Iram, for joining. And, and getting into the details. I appreciate it. Ijaz, just one last question. If anybody yes. here wants to get in touch with you or is interested to work at your company, what's the next step? How should we get in touch with you? For work, hr at beactive.com. So that's, we'll get that email and I do, I am copied on that email. So I will personally receive that email as well. And if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is ijaz, I-J-A-Z at beactive.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate Iram and Ijaz, both of you downloading the app and giving us an opportunity tonight. Thank you. And so with that, we're at the end of our segment. Next week, we will not be doing a show because of the Thanksgiving week, 
We'll come back on December 1st, Wednesday, 5 p.m., hopefully with the Chief Technology Officer of Current. So with that, that's a wrap for today. Thank you, everyone, again for joining us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you.